people often wait for a crisis. Oh, wow. And then you're desperate. But if you just five, 10 minutes a day, check in, you know, how are you doing? How are you feeling? What, what, what do we need to work on? And make it just part of the journey. Hey, everybody, welcome to the Grow Yourself podcast. I'm your host, Kevin McNulty, and this is your personal development school of growth, where each week my guests and I will bring and break down big ideas and practices that will help you learn, grow, and succeed in life. Thanks for checking us out. Now let the growth begin. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Grow Yourself from the Inside Out. Listen, you know, I, there are certain questions that I have certainly asked myself many times over the years. I know as a coach, I've heard many others ask me or ask them uh, themselves, you know, you know, who am I? <laughs> um, where am I going? You know, how do I do that? And eventually when when I get into these sorts of life coaching conversations, if you will, we often get to this place where we're talking about who are you and then either I bring it up or they bring it up this idea of the authentic you and and by the way I hear I see these memes and these quotes saying to, to be your authentic you and the first thought that comes to my crazy mind is well what if the authentic me sucks then what you know I mean <laughs> do I you know so uh you know, but it's but it but it is a fair question. You know, who who am I, and but who am I really? And it, and if there is a such thing as the authentic you, you know, it, it seems to me that if you create the authentic you, then it's not authentic. I mean, I'm just I'm really more throwing questions out here than trying to make statements. Well, interesting enough, I have a terrific guest today who's going to talk to us a lot about you know finding the path to authentic you, and I will ask her. The question, what happens if the authentic me sucks? What do I do then? But also just this idea about getting around to this, you know, we could say getting around to this, um, this feeling, if you will, or this situation that we do feel comfortable with who we are. I, I've told my daughters this many times, as you most of you know, grown up out of college now, but over the years, I, 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 always tried to steer them to be comfortable in their own skin. And that's sort of, you know, and they both are, by the way, uh, sometimes too comfortable, you know, for, you know, dad has to get onto them every now and then still, but uh, in any event. So let me introduce really this terrific guest that I have. Uh, her name is Allison Roberts, and she knows what it takes to, to, make, to make it in this world. As a young woman who found herself homeless, pregnant, and forced to live in a car, she turned, uh, through the writings of Napoleon Hill for comfort and guidance. And if you haven't read Napoleon Hill, it's a must for everybody, in my opinion. Little did she know then what a huge impact his philosophies would make on her life. And we'll ask her about which philosophies. As a cognitive behavioral expert, you know, who uses her natural intuition, Allison guides, has, guide thousands, has guided thousands of people all over the world to find their internal power. We're gonna ask her what is internal power. Her systems of personalized science, the combination of brain work and spirituality combined with her grace and uh, sense of humor has made Allison a sought after, highly sought after coach, speaker, and business collaborator. Allison has been 
uh, recognized by Feedspot, a Forbes affiliate, uh, in their designation of top 100 uh, coaches, not for just 2021, but 2022 as well. And that's quite a distinction, I, I can tell you as a coach. So she's also the author of a couple of, uh, really three books, but has, you know, like a bunch in the pipeline. So she's uh, obviously a prolific writer. I don't know how she does it. I'm going to ask for advice. You all know that I've, I've written a book, but um, every time I try to start a new one, I have PTSD or something like this. Uh, uh, because it was so hard to write the first one. But she has a couple of books out. We're going to, you know, one is called Behind the Power Collaboration. And this came out 2022, which is on Amazon. She has another one called The Magic in You. And then the one that we're going to spend the most time with today is called The Spirituality Journey, the part no one talks about. And that's a very interesting. And then she has a couple of other books. So anyways, I'm really excited to get into this conversation and learn about life and help us all learn, grow. And so I'd like to now uh, welcome Allison Roberts. Allison, thank you so much for, for taking the time, honestly. I am so excited to be here, Kevin. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. So first of all, tell, tell everybody you know, where you're at right now. Where are you calling in from, if you will? I am in a suburb of Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, it's called Woodstock and oh. it's beautiful. It's kind of the country in the, in the city. Is it really? And yeah, and love it here. I absolutely love it here. So what part of Atlanta is, are you the west side, the east side, north? I'm northwest. Oh goodness, so you're not that far from where I'm at, you know, out of Murfreesboro, probably. Yeah, hours three hours, like yeah. three and a half hours, Standing. something like that. Yes. Well, that's wonderful. And, um, but listen, before we get started really talking about the topic at hand here, I just love, it's it's a little cliche, but I honestly, I say this sincerely, I love to hear you know, just a little bit about your background, and I'm sure this is going to probably get into your story. But, you know, just, you know, who is Allison Roberts? You know, where did you grow up? And just anything about your life that sort of, you know, landed you here today? Yeah, so that's kind of a loaded question. Um, so I grew up actually here in Atlanta. Um, mm -hmm. I've traveled extensively, but I, I always tell everybody I'll always come home. Um, so I grew up in Decatur. I um, in a very abusive, uh, narcissistic, dysfunctional home wow. where we were taught uh, basically that our voice was not to ever be used and we were to be seen in public as the perfect family. So it was a very confusing message to always present to the world that we were great and wonderful and amazing. And then just have so much violence and dysfunction inside the house. It was, it was very wow. confusing. Yeah. yeah I, honestly, I, I read into your book, but I didn't really kind of see that coming. I mean, I just think to myself, you know, if, if um, you know, if there's anything that sort of sets you up for this, um, um, what do you call it? I can't think of the term right now, those sort of the fake you, um, boy, yeah. that, I could see where that would, would do the trick, wouldn't it? Yeah. And, um, I, I actually had imposter, crazy... imposter syndrome. That's what I was trying to uh, yeah. say. Mm -hmm. you know? Wow. Yeah. And I had a, the craziest thing happen yesterday. Um, it's kind of interesting that we're talking about this today, but I have been having, um, some pretty severe stomach issues mm. and I've been seeing, my physician now for about a year, 
you know, off and on. And she, you know, she's a lovely human. And she just, every time I go in, she's just like, I don't understand why you don't feel better. I don't understand why you don't feel better. So I was starting to feel maybe like I'm crazy (laughs) or something, you know? Yeah. She called me yesterday out of the blue because a study came out that ran across her desk. And it was a study about adults that were abused as children having all of the symptoms that I'm currently having right now. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And so I'd never told her that I grew up, you know, in an abusive household and we had a very raw, um, I've only had one other doctor in my 57 years cry on the phone with me and she and I were crying yesterday and she was just like, you know, she was so affirming. She was like, listen, you deserve to be whole and happy and to feel good. And we're going to get you well. Wow. That's powerful. And so she actually did not know your background, but maybe recognize some of your symptoms. Yes. Wow. That must've just blown her mind. And then probably the study itself blew your mind. It did. It did. Because, um, you know, I, I was at first, I'm, so I'm the baby of, um, well, in that particular family, I was the baby of four kids Mm. and my mother, um, is a narcissist. She's been diagnosed um, as that. I'm not just throwing that word around. She is, is there is a diagnosis of that. Okay. And that's, that, that's fair. Cause that is a very important distinction. You write that word gets thrown around a lot, but would you mind just taking a second and describe to the audience, what sort of the a narcissist is, you know, the true narcissist, not just somebody with a big ego, but somebody that has been diagnosed. What, what would you see in a person like that? How did it, you know, how did it manifest itself to you? Yeah. So what you see in a narcissist um, is a lack of empathy, mm-hmm. um, a control. Uh, they they have to be in control. They have to have the power in mm-hmm. the relationship. Um, what you see in a narcissist is a uh, rage. Oh. Um, they have no wow. healthy range of emotion. Um, what you see in a narcissist is that you are walking constantly on eggshells. Uh, your voice isn't validated. Your opinion doesn't matter. Um, and then, you know, if you are a child growing up uh, in a narcissistic household, then you are being um, physically assaulted, mentally assaulted, sexually assaulted, um, most likely, um, and um, spiritually abused, financially abused. You um, you are neglected. You will not have your basic needs met, toilet paper, um, toothpaste, tampons, food in the refrigerator, school supplies, new shoes. Like those are just non-existent unless, unless you're going out in public um, or your parent has more of a public role in society, then you will look very amazing to the public's eye and your parent will act very differently on the outside of the home. But then when you get home, it's completely different. So that, that is the the life of living with a narcissist. Wow, man, that is crazy. Some of this stuff, and I've studied some of it, you know, but I hadn't heard some of the things you're talking about as a narcissist. And you can quickly calculate in your mind that even that public look um, is part of their control, right? They're, yes. they're controlling how people see you. And even though it might be different 
And then obviously, if you were to complain, people would be like, what? And that's <laughs> exactly what happened. Are you yeah. serious? Wow. That's exactly what happened. And um, my mother in particular, she made sure that teachers and principals and school counselors and all of those people that, you know, we could have gone to for help. She made Goodness. sure to plant the seeds that her children are liars and exaggerators. And so every time we went for help, they would, we would just kind of get like the little pat on the head and, you know, sent back to our classroom. That's striking, man. So I, I apologize for taking off course. I don't know if you could figure out. How no, to get it's back good. On I mean, yeah, people need to know. Yeah. They need to hear that. That's right. That's right. So, so you were brought up with this narcissist and, and, um, and, uh, you know, was there sort of a climax to this, to your upbringing, you know, like a big thing that changed or that impacted you the most, or was it just, you know, getting out of the house, you know? The thing that impacted me the most is exactly what you said in my bio, which is, um, so when I turned 18, um, I got the heck out of Dodge and I was just living on my friends, like couches and on their bedroom floors, like wherever their parents could tolerate me. Cause I was in college, but, um, mm. I, they didn't have dorm rooms. So, you know, as soon as the parents found out that I was like a college student, they had a little bit more sympathy for me and they would say, you know, yeah, just come and sleep on our couch in there. But then, you know, that wears, At that wears. Point, yeah. Yeah. Like after two weeks they're like, yeah. okay, Allison, yeah, you know, what's, we what's love you, but yeah. you gotta, you gotta go. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, so that happened, that continued for, um, uh, I don't know, maybe se seven months, eight months. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm, I was not one of those students that took the summer off. I wanted to get through school. So it was during the summer and, um, I ran out of gas and I met this, this man. I read about um, this. It was crazy. Yeah. It's a crazy story. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. it's a crazy story. Gosh. And it was incredible. And we were, we were having the time of our lives. And then I ended up getting pregnant before we were supposed to have gotten married and his father was just not having it. And so through a long series, and you guys can just read the book if you want to know the details, but through a long series of events, I ended up living in my car on campus in the parking garage in the dead of winter. And I don't know where you were in 1984, um, mm. but it was the coldest winter still on record exactly. uh, in Georgia. It was like 11 degrees, four degrees with a wind chill of like many, many degrees below zero. And I was slowly freezing to death in my car. Yeah. You know, I mean, even Atlanta, that's, you know, I guess it's considered the deep South, but it can get cold as heck down there you know, with the uh, yes. humidity and stuff. So absolutely. Yeah. That can be torturous. Yeah. Yeah. So I, when I said that this was a good story, the, I think the part that I, that really caught my attention was, I think, you know, after you got to know this professor is, are you going to say a little bit about that? Yeah, it was so amazing. Um, he was actually substituting okay. because our stand-in um, professor, I, I don't know what, I, someone asked me the other day on another podcast, you know, what, what happened to her? I, I don't know. Um, she might've been fired or whatever, but hmm. you know, God had a plan. Hmm. So this gentleman stepped into our classroom um, and he really took an interest in all of us. Like he was just one of those people. It wasn't his full-time job. 
he owned businesses all around Atlanta. Mm. So he was just sort of teaching, um, I guess for fun or whatever, but he really took an interest in, you know, what we wanted for our lives and, and how we saw ourselves and coming from an abused family, you know, I didn't really share a lot with him. And by the time he stepped in, I was already probably a week or, or maybe 10 days of living in my car. Um, So he's, he was, I'm sure keen enough to see that, this young girl sitting in the very back row in the farthest seat away from anyone wearing the same clothes day in and day out um, with stains on them because, you know, I was, I was literally eating out of trash cans um, and there was no way to wash my clothes. And so, you know, as time went on, it was like mustard. And, you know, I think at one point I even had vomit um, on my pants Um, and so he found me in the library one day and handed me a copy of Think and Grow Rich, um, by Napoleon Hill. And I remember saying to him, I'm never going to be rich. (laughs) Um, and he said, it's not about that kind of rich. That's right. Allison. And I was like, what other kind of rich is there? And he's like the richness of our soul. And I was like. I mean, just big eye roll. And here's the thing. When people often ask me, you know, about timing and things like that. The reason that manifestation and and meditating and praying is so important is because God is never surprised. Hmm. And so it was no surprise to God that I was homeless. It was no surprise to God that I was living in my car. It was no surprise to God that something happened to my stand-in professor Um, to have him take notice of me. It was no surprise that he gave me that book. Because here's the thing, at 19 years old, if anyone else, and if I had been in any other situation, if someone had given me that book, I never would have, I never would have read that book. Very interesting. Yeah, I get it. It's not a book for a 19 year old. Right. (laughs) It's just not. Um, But I was like, I'm living in my car. Um, I had done my homework um, for the day in the library. And I was, when you're freezing, it's very hard to sleep. So, um, and I didn't want to fall asleep because I wasn't sure I was going to wake up this one particular night. I was like, if I fall asleep, I could die because I was so cold. So I thought, you know what, I'm just going to read this stupid book. And I'm one of those people that I don't read a book from cover to cover. I open it up and if it catches my attention, then, um, then I'll read it from cover to cover. So I opened up the book and basically the very first thing, and I'm, I'm totally paraphrasing, Mm -hmm. but one of the very first things that, that I read was like, take, take inventory of your life. It's like, what does that mean? You know, but it intrigued me. So I kept reading and basically the whole concept of the book is this, your upbringing, your Um, financial status, your health status, none of it matters because we all have a mind and we have a brain. And if you are willing or already do believe that you can have a better life than the one that you're living, then basically you start co-creating with God. 
That's what the book is about. It's like, listen, yeah. God is amazing. Yeah. He doesn't want any harm for you at right. all. This, right. all this thing about suffrage and all that it's, it's garbage, at least in my mind and Napoleon Hill's mind. Sure. So I caught onto that very quickly. And I was like, you know what? If that's really true, that it doesn't matter how I was treated growing up. And if it's really true that I can be rescued out of this car because I believe that I can be, then I'm willing to believe that. And that's exactly what happened. Wow. That's crazy. Now, I believe it was Napoleon Hill that said in that book, whatever the mind can conceive. Yes. The body it can, can achieve. achieve or something yes. like this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that's fascinating. I, I love that book. And I probably go in a lot of different directions. I would, I would like to ask, you know, what was maybe one of the big things that you came away with that book? Cause he does offer some, in my way of thinking, some, some tools and some how to's. I mean, it's not just all this flowery conceptual. It's, it's, if people don't know, it's book that was written, I think in 1930s. It's a fascinating story. 1937. He was yes. way ahead of his time, way ahead of his time. And, and uh, it's a fascinating look, but Many people in our industry, in the self-help or and beyond, you know, are very familiar with Napoleon Hill's work, you know, and the power of of what he says in that book, particularly Think and Grow Rich. But what is maybe the one thing that, you know, that you still use today and that came out of that book? Oh, my gosh. I use so many things. Let me think very quickly. Um, The one thing, the one thing. Well, I, you know, he talked a lot about, you know, um, masterminding and, and, and the, um, and, you know, having a vision, you know, yes. um, the idea of, of a solitary focus purpose in life and these sorts of things. I mean, there's so much to come out. I, it was probably an unfair question because that's one of those things that a thousand things can come to your head. Well, I think the biggest thing, honestly, that he talks about is keeping the faith and he's not talking about faith in God. Mm. He's talking about the faith of believing in the power of co-creation. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And I really do believe that God is always, always working on our behalf you know, and, and people are like, well, what about cancer? And what about school shootings? And mm. what about this? And what about that? Those things happen. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, but could argue God's not doing that. I mean, no, God's not doing it and he can't stop it because he right. gave us all free will. Correct. That's one of our gifts. And so, yeah. and Napoleon Hill talks about that and think and grow rich mm -hmm. too, about, you know, use your free will to first help yourself and second help humanity, then back to yourself, then humanity. Wow. Then, and, I, and I just, I loved that. I mean, I loved it so much and I still love it. Yeah. And you were living that life of, I'm not really helping myself. I mean, well, no, not <sighs> even that, that I need to help myself. To, I can't help anybody else. I'm living in my car. I don't have any money. I don't have any food. I barely have gas. So, so it must've resonated with you. It did because I didn't have any gas because yeah. I had ran, I ran out trying to keep myself warm, Gosh, you know, and, and I also was living just in tons of shame and guilt. You know, um, I had stolen a pair of gloves out of the library. I had taken things from the school. And so, 
you know, and I'd grown up abused. And so I was just like marinated in this shame. And I remember, you know, one of the nights that I was in my car and, and, um, I had not prayed in a, in a long, long time. And I, and, um, I love Jesus. Um, you know, he's amazing. He's, he was amazing as a human and he's amazing as a soul, you know, he's just an amazing being. And so I remember one night I just surrendered to him. You know, I just said, Jesus, I'm so sorry. I, I, I haven't had, you know, a conversation with you in a, in a really, really, really long time. Um, and it, it's, it's not you, it's me kind of thing, you know? Wow. Um, and just said, you know, and this was before I got the book oh. and I just said, I really, really need your help. Like I, you know, I, I don't, I don't know what else to do. Like I'm at the bottom of my barrel here, you know? And then I think it was like two or three days later, probably three, cause Jesus loves to work in threes. Um, I think it was three days later that my professor gave me the book and, and it just very quickly just turned my life around completely. That's pretty amazing. And, and so you read the book and then there was another very interesting uh, dynamic that also took place in the parking lot, as I recall from your book with your professor. Yeah. So the last night that I was in my car, um, I was really thinking, um, this is where I'm going to die. You know, I had, and I, and in all fairness, um, I was contemplating suicide. Um, I had already, you know, I had thought about jumping off the parking garage, um, you know, roof. I, um, I, I had thought about a couple of different ways, you know, that I can in my life. And, um, I was just, I was hungry. I was freezing. I was dirty. I was, you know, I was just, and I was pregnant and I, and I didn't know what I was going to do with the baby that was inside of me. And it was just like all these things just constantly, you know? Um, but one of the things that Napoleon Hill, um, really encourages all of us to do is to visualize, um, a reality that we want for ourselves. And I had been doing that, but that particular night I was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to drill this down. Like I'm going to get so, so, so specific. And so I closed my eyes and I pictured myself like in a warm bed, drinking soup and warm tea and just being loved by someone, not a man, but just, you know, in a loving, caring environment. And I, and I, all the way down to manifesting the curtains that would be hanging in the bedroom with these tiny little flowers on them. And I heard a knock on my Volkswagen door and I opened it up and my professor was standing there. Hmm. And at first I didn't know it was him. I mean, I thought, I thought it was him, but he was just like, so bundled up, you know, And he was like, follow me home. You know, my wife is there waiting for you. She's prepared dinner for you and we're going to help you. And I was like, I can't follow you. I don't have any cats in my car. (laughs) So he put me in his truck and he took me to his house. And sure enough, his wife was like standing at the door waiting for me. And they took me in. She had soup and hot tea waiting for me. That's crazy, man. And she opened up the door to the bedroom 
and they're the, the curtains that I had visualized with the tiny flowers yeah. were hanging on a on a rod. And I I remember and it, it still gives me chills and I still I just want to cry every time I tell the story because I was just standing there in the doorway and she was like, go take a, you know, go take a hot shower. And she had laid out like the sweatsuit for me. She was like, go take a hot shower, That's come crazy. back. There's clean clothes here. And I couldn't move. And she was like, Allison, what is it? And I was like, I saw this in a vision, you know, tonight I saw this. That's and she said, crazy. of course she did, you know, because Didn't they were Napoleon Hill followers, oh, right, you know, right, 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 right. She was right. like, of course she did. And I'm so glad I'm so honored to be the person to fulfill your you know, vision for you. And it just, it was amazing. I, I mean, I, I'm just not sure I could move. I would just be inside sort of this, this catatonic state, I guess I would just <laughs> like, you know, can this really be happening? I mean, yeah, that's a little bit, that's a little bit specific. <laughs> it's very specific. Yeah. And, <laughs> and um, I was standing in the shower. I think I took a shower until the hot water just like completely ran out. Wow. Um, And I, I remember being in the shower and just over and over and over just saying, thank you, God. Thank you. Thank you. And that's when I realized too, the power of authentic gratitude. Yeah. 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 So, um, so, so let's, let's, let's keep moving then, you know, so I I guess I want to try to get us to the place of understanding what you do now and how all of this, stuff has you know manifested who you are today so so just keep going and 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 talk about you know how how the trajectory kept going from there so you obviously finished college or I did. did you maybe okay yeah um and uh i did an internship with battered women and oh, wow. um got very quickly burned out with that got into the real estate profession mm-hmm. did very very well then the market crashed um, then I took a year off and had to do some serious soul searching. Um, and then I hired a business coach and she encouraged me to become a cognitive behavioral coach. She's like, you already know, you know, this already. Yeah. So I, um, I took a coaching certification, even yeah. though I really didn't need it, but I took, I did it anyway. Um, and now I help women and men. I'm starting to get male clients, which is wonderful and fantastic. Really what I help people do, um, honestly, is turn around and look at their childhood because in our childhood is where all of our challenges began. Um, In our childhood is where all the false beliefs come from and the feelings of unworthiness and the belief that we're not enough and the imposter syndrome and confusion and all of those things. And so we dissect the past by applying cognitive behavior and spirituality, because that's extremely important um, to bring people to their true authentic selves. And what does that mean? It means that when you're, uh, when someone asks you, how are you doing? Um, 
if you're if it's a stranger, you say I'm fine, obviously, because especially in the South, everybody's fine. Yeah, everybody's how you doing? Fine. Yeah. Right. But if you're in a deep, meaningful relationship, it's learning to use your voice. Mm. That's coming from your soul mm. and your heart to express your needs, your wants and your desires so that the other person who's in your life has the honor, the privilege, and really, yeah, the honor and the privilege of loving who you truly are. Wow. And not I, a script that you live by. I was going to say that if you don't present that honest, authentic you, they can't honor it, nurture it, love it. They can't do any of that. Can't help no. you. None of that really happens. You're just, they're just reacting to, uh, uh, we could say the fake you or whatever. I mean, I yeah. say that and and doesn't right. mean that people are trying to be fake, but no, as you well, they know, just don't know any better. Correct. And sometimes we build up these mechanisms, I guess you could say to, to cope with, you know, I don't want you to know me because if you knew me, you know, you wouldn't like, right. Me. you may not like me. Right. Right. And then I'll be alone and then I'll die alone and then yeah. everybody will hate me yeah. and I'll have to exactly. eat worms and all the things. <laughs> but, you know, but not, nothing wrong with worms. That's not nothing that's wrong not, with worms. If you want to eat worms, that's fine. Let's not be hating on worms. They're perfectly <laughs> good to eat, you know. So, OK, no, that's terrific. And you also say that you help people find their internal power. So what do you mean by internal power? I mean, I guess we could all sort of guess what it is, but I really want to hear your your idea of internal power. Yeah, our internal power really is our voice. It's mm. it's you. It's speaking. It, it's our internal power is speaking the words that match how we feel. Mm. That's really what it is. Wow! It's having the courage and the bravery to have difficult conversations. Mm-hmm. To stop rescuing everyone, mm. um, to stop allowing the mistreatment from others, to set beautiful boundaries, to state those boundaries so that people know where they stand with you, um, to be willing to, you know, uh, uh, I'll tell you, like growing up in the South, right? Like a lot of the, and and it could be everywhere, but like. If I go to a party, I'm asked three questions. The first, what do you do? Where do you go to church? Mm-hmm. Where did you grow up? Yeah. I mean, those are like the three standard things. questions. Yes. Yeah. They're the standard questions. Yeah. And most people ask them because they're programmed to ask them and they yes. don't really care what I do. They don't really care where I grew up and they don't really care if I go yeah. to church, but they're just asking. asking yeah. So internal power is learning how to ask a different question to build community. Very interesting. Yeah. What's an example? What would be a good question that would help you build community? So I meet you at a party and I'm like, hi, Kevin, you know, I'm Allison. You're like, hi, Allison. Um, So what brings you to the party? Mm. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. What's your favorite color? What did you do yesterday? What are you doing tomorrow? What's your favorite movie? It's like, it's internal power is wanting to get to know someone. Yeah. On a true 
level. It gets wanting to get to know someone and it's wanting, it's wanting other people to truly know you. Very interesting. And, uh, you know, I think about this as a coach and I think, you know, if, if one of the things that really works for me is in fact, you know, being vulnerable, you know, being able to tell somebody that, you know, if, if they're struggling with something, it's something that I've struggled with, you know, I would tell them that. And I think, and it, it goes beyond just this idea that it makes them more comfortable than to speak about themselves. It does, but it also, uh, re it reveals the authentic me, you know, I'm not, yes. I'm, I literally, and you know, this as a coach, you can kind of set yourself up to look like you got all of your shit together. You can, you know, I mean, because you're the coach and and especially if they're really in dire need of your help or whatever, you can really start to dominate that situation and make yourself to look, you know, really good. You know, not not by saying anything specifically, but by just, you know, creating the conversation and talking about them. But I also think that when people realize that, oh, you're human, too. Yeah, it, it gives them some level of power. It gives them some understanding that. Um, they're not sitting out here by themselves. And just because I'm the coach does not mean I don't struggle with things. And it exactly. just, it really, when I do that, I see as a coach, you've probably seen the same thing is it just immediately changes the, the, the tone of the conversation. It's just, it just starts to get more authentic. It's kind of like they're saying in their head, okay, this guy's real. He's had his own stuff. You know, mm -hmm. let me just, let's just talk. Let's get down to some serious talking. Well, in real conversation, both people are feeling seen and heard, mm -hmm. and that creates safety. There you go. And safety is everything. Safety is everything. Yeah, and as a matter of fact, uh, I think in, I uh, can't think of the author right now, in Crucial Conversations, they talk about the first rule of having having really difficult conversations is making sure the other person feels some level of safety to talk around you. You know, yeah. they, they perceive you to be this critical judging person. Um, they're not going to speak up. No. So you have to set that tone, hopefully before the conversation, you know, but mm -hmm. then sometimes in the conversation, you see, that's very, very interesting. I was just also looking at here uh, where you say, and I'm, I've kind of lost my context here, but something about, you know, painless pivots to power. Tell yes. me about that. It caught my attention. So um, you can find out more about this on my website. My website is allisonroberts.com, but I actually do a three-day seminar. It's $27. And the $27 is just to make sure you're going to show up. That's like Wayfair, you know? Yeah, exactly. And it's just, yeah. I just found, I've found in the past, I've been doing painless pivots to power for five years. Wow. And when people pay, they show up. So I just yeah. started saying, you know what, if you're going to make this commitment to yourself, yeah. you got to have some skin it's in the deal. Skin in the game. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. But in the, in the, um, the webinar and it is virtual, it's over zoom. Um, I teach people how the brain works mm. and how to explore their spirituality, faith, whatever you want to call it, because so many people are very connected to religion, but they're not very connected to mm -hmm. their soul experience of it. Yeah. So 
I teach them how to have a soul experience while they are using their brain. Oh, very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, God gave us our brain. Yes, that's true. (laughs) You know, that's very, very true. And I think, you know, the, the whole concept of spirituality, including talking about your soul, you know, even down to the question of who am I, you know, there, there, there are so many, um, there's so many pieces that I could speak for myself that, that, um, that make it really challenging to separate religion from spirituality. You know, we understand religion to really be, and I don't say there's anything wrong with religion. I mean, many of us need some kind of a structure to work what we're doing, but maybe to your point that we get caught up in the, in the patterns, in the, in the, just the, you know, here's what the you're rules. doing and this, the rules and all those sorts of things. The shame. The shame, you know, sometimes the shame. Yeah, all of that. Um, um, but, you know, perhaps as you're saying, pivoting to this idea that we are a soul. Each of us are a soul. Yeah. I, yes. I, I've done things before, like asking people to, to, you know, like in their workplace, if they're sitting around having lunch together or just having around a meeting to very quietly, of course, to look at each person, even the people that you don't like, and simply look at them, though, as though they are a soul inside of that body talking, and the body is just the mechanism from which it comes. And people, they they often come away from that saying, you know, it made me see that person differently. Yes. Because I started not seeing like this person. I started seeing this little soul inside of them talking, and, and all of them start, he, it, one person said, I started seeing them all as kids, almost, children you know, speaking out of this big body. And I just, it's, it's a fascinating way to think about that, you know, um, that there's a soul in all of us. And some of us just go through life, never thinking about it. And we just end up really a a slave to our ego, really. I mean, I think that's frankly what is, you know, meant in the Bible about all of those things, you know, don't be a slave to the world, you know, worldly ways. It's hard to do, though, isn't it? It's hard to just really, maybe not. I don't know. I think that, um, I think that anything is hard if we think it is. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> so you, you know, like I will say it does. It takes discipline for sure. Yeah. You know, it's like going to the gym. You know, if you want to build muscles, you've got to lift weights somehow, some way, and it's the same thing with our spirit. You know, if if we want our soul to expand, we can't just sit around watching Netflix, hoping that our soul is going to expand. So it, to your point, it does take discipline, yeah, which can be hard if you don't have the, the true desire or if you, like you said, if you're living in your ego, um, which is not what people think it is, but yeah. if you're living in your ego and you're not paying attention to building that muscle of of spirit. You're right. It is hard. So very interesting. Now, this intrigues me. You said, you know, about the ego and it's not what people think it is. So what are we missing about the ego? What do you say the ego is? Well, I think a lot of people confuse it with like wealth and Mm. big houses and nice cars and all of those things. And you can't think that that's wrong. And at the same time, believe that um, that you are God's child and that you can inherit 
the 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 world as he promises, you know? Yes. And so a lot of people think that ego-based things equal money, and that's not true. Wow, very interesting. Yeah, that's very interesting. You know, kind of along this line, I read this piece in your book, and I can't, honestly, because I put it on a separate paper, so I don't know exactly what chapter this came out of, forgive me, but it says that, it says the thing you must always remember and grow to understand is that your life has deeper meaning than you can comprehend. Your path to finding it is to heal yourself daily, tap into your soul, listen and follow the guidance you receive. If you follow this recipe, you will have peace that surprises all understanding. I think I've heard that before. And, uh, and your life will make uh, more sense as you go. And this, you know, can you share a little bit about what you mean by all of that? It's a very interesting uh, paragraph that you can finding it to heal yourself daily. Yeah. People often wait for a crisis. Oh, wow. And then you're desperate. But if you just five, 10 minutes a day, check in, you know, how are you doing? How are you feeling? What, what, what do we need to work on? And make it just part of the journey instead of this big thing. Yeah. Yeah. Boy, that's fascinating because as you just said that, you're right. When we wait for a crisis, that's when, of course, our emotions jump in, stress, fight or flight. And it's already proven that, you know, the more emotions you have, the less you think rationally. Yes. And so what you're saying is that in your rational, loving, peaceful voice, before something happens, yes. you are practicing this idea of, of speaking kindly to yourself, perhaps even meditation. That's very interesting. And that in and of itself can produce healing. Yeah. And just taking an honest look at, you know, how you're communicating. Do you listen to people? Are you present? Are you on your cell phone at dinner? Um, are you on your cell phone all the time? Um, you know, are you laughing? Are you joyful? Mm. Um, I read um, a study the other day. And it said that children laugh between 100 and 600 times a day and adults laugh between one and 17 times. Oh my goodness gracious. Yeah. That in and of itself, if you get, I'm talking to the audience now, if you get nothing else but that from this, because we all, everyone knows to some degree that, you know, laughter is, is, is a is a beautiful um you know well it's a symptom of joy yeah symptom of joy there you go that's a good way to say that yeah and so if we're not laughing we're lacking joy wow. so if you don't want to heal for any other reason <laughs> then heal because the people in your life are not laughing with you you're not laughing you're not having joy you're not you're not enjoying Enjoy, you enjoy. know, you're not in. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, that's beautiful. Wow. Well, listen, I mean, we're getting, you know, right up on 45 minutes and, you know, I would love for you before I'm going to, I'm going to ask you where can everybody can find you. And of course we'll put all of that in the show notes and that sort of thing, but you know, um, beyond 
sort of already the good tips and advice that you've already kind of put forth here. You know, if somebody wants to, you know, begin this this journey, this spiritual journey, you know, what what would you recommend in practical? Where does one start if they don't know where to start? And we're talking about people that might be very religious, if you will, or people who are not religious at all. You know, where where does one start, Allison? If you're super religious, um, then I would look to your church, you know, and just see um, what kind of program or, um, you know, find find something that resonates with you. Um, If you're not religious at all or if you're somewhere in between, honestly, my book, The Spiritual Journey, because. Um, as you know, it has journal prompts uh, at the end of every single chapter. I saw that. Those are really terrific, by the way. Thank you. Great questions. Yeah. No, really, that's so good. Yeah. So um, it's on Amazon. Here's what it looks like. Spiritual journey. Yes. The spiritual journey. Um, the partner one talks about. Um, there are many very deep questions um, at the end of each chapter to make you do exactly what Napoleon Hill, um, you know, the, the thing that changed my life, which is taking personal inventory and seeing where you've been, where you are and where it is that you want to go. So now you've prompted two more quick questions, if I may, you know, one, when you're, when you're on a spiritual journey, or if somebody embarks on a spiritual journey, let's just say it's somebody who hasn't kind of really done any of that sort of thing in any faith or religion. So if they're embarking on a spiritual journey, that's going to be kind of a whack question, but what are they looking for? What, what are they, what do they hope the end is, you know, so you say journey, so that's fair enough, but what is, what are they hoping to discover there in the journey? I think what people are looking for is peace. Mm. Oh, interesting. Mm. Mm. Oh, very interesting. Yeah, everyone wants peace. Yes, that's true. Love and regardless peace. of what the circumstances are. And I think that people who um who are on a spiritual journey, they understand that there's something bigger at work. Um, I think they're looking for a partner who's on their side. Um, who's yes, yes, unconditionally on their side. And that, that was the biggest thing for me at, you know, at the age of 19 is, is finally realizing that I had a partner, I had a partner and, um, you know, that, that God was working on my behalf, not against me. I love that a lot. And I believe that a lot too, because You know, as people read into the Bible, you know, you can come away with so many different um, understandings of it, point of views. And, you know, over the years, I've seen many speak about sort of the darker side of, of God, you know, and or, or some of these other things or, you know, <clears throat> but I, I try to, this is just my feelings, that that the coming of Jesus was there might've been multiple reasons, but one of them was to share that it's really about love and peace. It's, 
let's not make this complicated. You know, love thy neighbor and love thyself. And, you know, as I think about things that are the hardest thing to do, that if you want to talk about the flesh or the worldly ways, it is in, it is in being in that constant state of peace and love, it, you know, if that's possible. Maybe it's not. I mean, we're not perfect, but but still, you know, um, however you define love, um, I can tell you there's, you know, there's a couple of people I can think of that I struggle to love them. You know, I may not hate them, but I still Bye. struggle. And I don't. And so, you know, this is to me, this is part of the journey. It's part of my journey is figuring out how to not let the ego control me and want whether it be revenge or just be resentful or whatever the case, judgmental, but man, that's hard. I think, I think that's the big struggle in life. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's why we have to heal ourselves. Good point. Yeah. Cause we're only hurting ourselves when we walk yeah. around feeling that way. And we're usually acting out of something that we may not be completely familiar with. You see. Yeah. That too. That's very yeah. interesting. Well, listen, Allison, tell everybody where they can find you and your books. We know they're on Amazon, but, and we'll put them in the show notes, but I just love for you to just share it out loud. Yeah. So um, if you go to AllisonRoberts.com, there's a, um, a free meditation that's waiting there for you. Nice. Um, you do have to put your email in, but I promise, I promise you from the bottom of my soul, I do not spam. Um, so you're not going to be getting 10 emails from me a day. I did listen to that, by the way. It's beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I don't believe in that. Oh, thank you. I'm glad that you yeah. like the meditation. Yeah. Um, so there's a meditation waiting there for you. Um, all of the links to all of my books are there. Um, you can find that. You can sign up to Painless Pivots to Power on my website. Um, invest $27 in yourself. And just find out more about how to stay in touch with me if you want to. That's a beautiful thing. And your name is spelled A-L-L-Y-S-O-N, just so that people know on Allison, <clears throat> AllisonRoberts.com. Yes. So anyways, it's all going to be in the show notes, but uh, somebody may have hurried and written it down and, and going there right now. So beautiful. I can't thank you enough, Allison, for, you know, one, just honestly, you're, you're, I just respect people that can bring their, you know, I, I know it's kind of a worn out term, but their, their vulnerability to the table and talk about it, the struggles that you had in life, but more, you've obviously turned this in, not just, you know, as, as a story, but as a story that now offers the rest of us some understanding and how we can improve, how we can start a spiritual journey, uh, how can you read one book and it have an impact us on us all. And, you know, I mean, I think, you know, it just in, in the short time that I've got to know you, you know, you certainly are, an advocate, if you will, if you want to put it that way, of the Bible, but it doesn't mean that God can't speak to us in other ways. In fact, Napoleon Hill was was uh, speaks quite often about Christianity and his faith he does. in the book. So I mean, yeah, it's not, absolutely. So I mean, there's just different ways that people can pick up something that just prompts you to move in the right direction. So I hope that this short talk, you know, gives people a spark, you know, to go out and start their own spiritual journey, maybe with you. Thank you. Okay. Thank you so much, Allison Roberts, and uh, hope to stay in touch with you. Thank you. Me too.